Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I walk with the key to hell. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Welcome to Epiphany's podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at epiphanyligonier.org. A friend of mine once shared with me that in 1967, uh, he went to go see the Monkees in concert. You know the Monkees, the pop band, the boy band, Davy Jones, Daydream Believer, right? The epitome of the teeny pop band in that era. Well, for a handful of shows in 1967, the Monkees had for their opening act, at the time, a relatively unknown rocker. He was kind of up and coming in the New York music scene, but He hadn't broken into the mainstream yet, and he was known for playing a very dynamic stage show. A lot of antics, very colorful. And a handful of the monkeys saw this young musician in concert and said, hey, we should get him to headline our tour when we're in the United States. Uh, It turns out the monkeys were big fans of a young Jimi Hendrix, (laughs) right? Jimi Hendrix, an embodiment of that 60s counterculture, hard-rocking, drugged-up, Woodstock kind of vibe. The exact opposite vibe of what the monkeys represented. But the monkeys thought it was cool that, you know, like Jimi Hendrix could play the guitar with his teeth. And so my friend was telling me that he went to go see the monkeys in 1967 and he remembered the uh, the wild and crazy uh, opening act of Jimi hendrix who was smashing his guitar and destroying amps and lighting things on fire and it was quite the incongruous opening act um, in fact it was such a bad time for Jimi hendrix he would only he only ended up doing um six of the 29 shows that the monkeys had offered Uh, him as the opening act. I mean, you must feel bad for Jimi Hendrix, don't you? Opening to a crowd of people looking to go see the monkeys. I mean, did you ever feel bad for an opening act? You know, we we haven't had concerts or shows in a while, but did you ever feel bad for an opening act? Because they're there to entertain the audience while the main event is just being sort of prepped and delayed backstage. You know, it happens at rock concerts. It happens at comedy shows. It happens all the time. I feel bad for opening acts. You know, in in 2010, I saw U2 live in concert, and their opening band was a band called Interpol. And, And, you know, here's the thing. Interpol, as a band, has their own following. They could headline any rock club in the country and draw a very sizable crowd. They're they're a real band. Um, But when they're opening for U2, now they're talking about filling Heinz Stadium. And so about, you know, an hour and a half before U2 goes on stage, Interpol is playing, and nobody cares. Uh, They're talking, they're milling around, they're ignoring the music. Maybe they're kind of bopping their heads, they're swaying along to the beat. But nobody was there to see Interpol. It made me feel bad for them, that they were there playing their hearts out on stage and nobody was paying attention. The opening act and the main act are two different phenomena. 
One is there to get your attention, to get you excited, to prepare you for the joy to come. And the other is the joy itself, the fulfillment, the reason you bought the ticket. I mean, John the Baptist knows what we're talking about. Maybe he was the most famous opening act in all of history because he was the opening act for Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth. What did John the Baptist say? You know, there is one who is coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, which reminds me of the time I saw the parody musician Weird Al Yankovic in concert back when I was 13, and the opening act began by saying, you didn't come here to see me, you came to see the master, Weird Al. But he's still getting ready, so I'm going to keep you entertained for a bit. You know, at this point, you know, in our sermon series called Of First Importance, we're in just the second week. We're just starting to dive in here and take a look at the sermons and the preaching focus of the New Testament apostles. And we're asking the question, when the first followers of Jesus had the opportunity to share their faith, what was it that they said? And the hope is that we might have some insight on how to share the gospel with people in our own midst, uh, here in our own communities. That if we look to what the original followers of Jesus said when they shared the gospel, we might be more informed to do that in our own midst. And so today we're going to look through uh, the book of Acts. Um, a book full of sermons uh, that the first followers of Jesus were preaching to those outside their fold. And our first sermon in this series is going to come from Peter, right? St. Peter, one of the first leaders of the early church, one of Jesus's closest followers. And Peter and his friend and ministry partner, John, St. John, right? Uh, in Acts chapter 3, they're walking through the great grand temple of Jerusalem. And this is taking place about a month or so after Jesus has risen from the dead. And they see a beggar hanging out by one of the gates of the temple, and the beggar does his beggar thing and asks for some money. And here's what happens. Seeing Peter and John go to the temple, he, the beggar, asks to receive, asks to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a really beautiful beginning to our reading, isn't it? At least I think it is. There is a healing, as if to confirm that Jesus actually did indeed rise from the dead, Peter and John reflect one of the hallmarks of Jesus's earthly ministry, a ministry of healing. Jesus was known for his miraculous healings, and now that same power and authority has been passed on to his disciples, in Jesus's name, of course. And so this lame invalid, who is recognized and well-known by passers-by, he has his mobility restored. The story continues like this. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, all the people recognized him. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man who was healed and recognized, he was a well-known figure. You know, people knew this wasn't a trick. You know, I think of the homeless man who frequents the outside of Aldi and Latrobe during the summer months. I think his name is John. I haven't officially met him yet, but whenever I do see him, he always likes to remind me that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I'm actually quite grateful for that. 
But imagine if John the homeless man were to show up on church on Sunday in his right mind, wearing properly fitting khakis and a blue sport coat, clean shaven, wearing a pair of leather Oxfords and carrying a Bible under his arm. It would certainly draw your attention, wouldn't it? Wouldn't everyone be curious to know what had happened, how this man went from sitting outside the grocery store, begging uh, with all of his earthly possessions in a, in a grocery cart, to showing up at church in his Sunday best? I mean, that's the equivalent of what's happening here. The, the well-known beggar who had been sitting outside the temple gates for some time is now dancing and shouting and leaping for joy. And while he, the beggar, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though our own, by our own power or piety we have made him walk. And, you know, this is where um, Peter begins to share the gospel with the crowds and he transitions over into preaching. And he's doing this, just as a side note here, in a part of the temple um, where anyone can visit the temple. This is so 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 people, male, female, Jew, Gentile, God fearer, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be in this part of the temple. And it's also a part of a temple. You know, it's called Solomon's Portico where many Jews had heard Jesus preach some years prior, perhaps, and they tried to stone him in the temple for heresy. So you can go back and read John 10. You know, that's why your cover bulletin, the bulletin cover today is an image of Jesus about to be stoned. And so as if to redeem this little piece of geography in the temple from that encounter, Peter stands in a similar place and preaches a sermon. And instead of walking you through the sermon line by line, I'll give you a quick synopsis. You know, we talked in our sermon last week how there is a theme, a thread in all of the messages in the New Testament about Jesus and what is the most important thing that we discuss. And we talked about the, the different components of that uh, last week, and they're here too in this reading, right? We said those three components were that Christ has died and risen, he's coming back to judge the world, to use Peter's language, and the restoration of all things, and there's an invitation to repent uh, as well as to receive the forgiveness of sins. So those three components we talked about, right? Jesus' death and resurrection, his promise to come back and fix the world, and an invitation to repentance and receive forgiveness of sins, like those are here as well. And in fact, I've uh, gone through and highlighted them in your bulletin this week uh, to help point out where those pieces are. And you can see that they are components woven into a larger sermon, because Peter also infuses his sermon with the context of the Hebrew scriptures. Peter explains how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Right? See our sermon series from last year. We know all about God's promise to Abraham. And Peter infuses his sermon with the context of the lame man being restored to perfect health. And so if you were to break down Peter's sermon, it would come down to our three gospel components, an Old Testament reference, and a commentary on a recent divine healing. Those are the core components of what Peter discusses in uh, his sermon in, from Acts chapter 3. And that's the chapter. Um, Peter extends an offer of faith to the man who was crippled from birth. The man believes and he is healed. It draws a massive crowd eager to see what power healed this man. And Peter shares the gospel with them. This text for us is, I think, a word about the proper place of healing in the Christian faith. Um, and I want to speak to that now uh, for a couple of minutes because some people tend to conflate 
the the results of the gospel with the gospel itself. Sometimes we can conflate like what is the good news, what is the uh, core Christian gospel with the results of the gospel. And so healing is a major theme in the Bible and it's a major theme in Jesus's ministry as well. And in our, our own time, it's quite easy to get bogged down in sort of heavy and theological discussions about healing and the role of healing for the church in the year 2021. Um, because on the one hand, as I've shared from this pulpit before, I'm fairly certain, I believe truly, that I have witnessed a miraculous physical healing as a result of the prayers of the church. There was someone uh, in a previous congregation I served at who um, did not have access to affordable health care and had a, a serious physical issue. And we prayed and the issue resolved itself. And so I want to sort of point out that I think I have um, experienced the work of God in this manner. And maybe you have too. Maybe you've experienced this. You've prayed and you've witnessed in your own life or someone else's a, a, a physical healing. Christians speak about this often. Fatal cancers uh, disappear. Intense pain goes away. Uh, the grim diagnosis turns out to be not so grim. And so we speak as Christians of, of healing, and we don't just talk about our bodies, but we also talk about inner healing as well. Uh, spiritual healing for past emotional wounds and relief from mental illness. Um, those are things Christians testify to experiencing uh, through faith in um, the Christian gospel. And I think this is good and appropriate. You know, St. James tells us to pray for the sick that they might be healed. And so we do. But at the same time, this question of healing in the church can ironically bring about a lot of pain and frustration. It opens the door for questions like, why does God heal this person, but God didn't heal this person? Um, I prayed very hard and sincerely, God, why didn't you um, bring me this healing that I prayed so hardly and sincerely for? Um, a neighbor of mine some time ago back in West Virginia had a serious health issue and he was immunocompromised so I couldn't be close to him but we were having a discussion. Uh, he was on the porch and I was some yards away and uh, we were discussing and having a conversation at a distance and a third neighbor came up and joined the conversation and as we were discussing the neighbor's health and the latest updates on um, this neighbor's uh, condition, the third neighbor who visited chimed in and said, hey, we've been praying for you at church and God gave me a word that you will be healed and restored. I can't wait to see you back in church. And my neighbor ended up dying about four months later. It's a very sad story, and um, it breaks my heart on a number of levels. But, um, you know, this is the kind of thing where we can get this wrong, and it can hurt a lot. Why God chooses to heal some people and not some people on this side of paradise is it's a mystery to me and to you. Uh, you don't know the answer, and neither do I. And we need to recognize that healing as a promise of God is going to come as um, a part of when Jesus returns to restore the world. Well, the, the, the promise of scripture is that our physical bodies and our emotional states will be restored uh, to perfect health, as Peter says in our reading. And so if it doesn't happen now, it will eventually happen. And so, yes, healing is a huge part of our Christian life and hope. And so if it doesn't happen before we die, it will come with our resurrection. And not only do we talk about it like this, but we also recognize that any healing that we receive from God on this side of the Jordan is ultimately temporary. Uh, one of the only requirements for the resurrection of the dead is that we first experience it after we die. <laughs> you can't experience a resurrection from the dead if we don't die first. 
And so the real miracle, the real gift given on this side of the Jordan uh, may not be sort of healing or a restored body. It may simply be more time with someone we love. And my experience is that that's really um, what a lot of our prayer requests are about when it comes to someone who's sick. Um, We want more time with people that we love. And so it's important that when we talk about healing in the church, we don't confuse healing, which is a consequence of the gospel, with the gospel itself. Because in our reading today, we get um, the the reality, the, the scriptural reality is presented to us that healing is not the headline. It's the opening act. Let me say that again. Healing, friends, is not the headline. In our reading today, healing is the opening act. It draws a crowd. It proves authority. Uh, But it points to something greater than itself. It's what comes first to tell you about the thing which is better. You know, it's so funny because in our reading even, right, uh, Peter and John, what do they say to the, 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 the... the immobile man, the, the disabled man first, um, when they, he's asking for alms and Peter and John say, Hey, we don't have alms, but we have something better for you. And, and they heal him. Of course the healing comes, but only after, after faith is, um, brought forward in the life of this man who was formerly crippled. And so when we talk about something pointing to something greater than itself, the healing in our reading today is there to point to something greater than, than itself. It is there to be an opening act to faith blossoming in the lives of other people. Um, so the text tells us, right, that we were healed, as Isaiah says, through the stripes of Jesus, which destroyed his body, that our bodies might live. And we are healed as St. James says, when we repent and confess of our sins and expose our misdeeds to the light. And we will be healed to perfection when Jesus returns to restore all things. And the the prerequisite to all of this, my friends, the thing that makes it possible is Jesus' death and resurrection and his promise to return and restore the world and the forgiveness of sins to all who repent. Peter says so in our reading even, right? First comes Jesus, then comes healing. Faith in his name, right? This is what um, Peter preaches about the man who was healed. Uh, Faith in his name, Jesus' name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of all of you. So if we want the healing, whether it's more time with someone we love on the side of heaven whether it's relief from psycho-spiritual suffering, whether it's the restoration of the body after the resurrection. If we want the healing, friends, we start with Jesus first. We start with the gospel first. We go straight for the opening. Uh, we, we, we go past the opening act to the real show, which is Jesus' death and resurrection. And so maybe this morning, uh, today, as you are here at church or listening online, um, you are looking for healing in some capacity. You're looking for an emotional burden to be lifted. You're looking for a spiritual scar to be healed. You're looking for a cancer to go away. You're looking for chronic pain to be lifted. You're looking for a loved one to be restored so that you can have more time with them. Friends, I tell you this morning, it will happen in the world to come. It will happen in the world to come, my dear friend. It will come to pass um, in the life to come, which is um, this much has been totally promised. 
And maybe God will foreshadow that in our own time as a reminder of the gospel um, to maybe perhaps uh, use it as an opening act to have someone else come to faith. But that doesn't mean it won't happen eventually. Because friends, I tell you this morning, Jesus Christ died and rose again. He's coming back to fix the world. And there's forgiveness for anyone who asks for it, for their role in messing up the world that Jesus has to fix. And so take him up on his offer for healing this morning, my friends. It may not come yet, but it will soon. Uh, Turn from your wickedness and live. Work through the opening act and stay tuned for the main event. I tell you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday, a thief. On Sunday. Pennsylvania.